Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. So IXL Learning is a multi-subject online program for kids, and it's used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. 14 million students use it. And if you have kids who are trying to get ahead or if they're struggling with certain subjects or studying for a test that's coming up, IXL is this personalized learning tool that you can use to help kids learn what they need to learn faster. And they have programs K through 12, so there's something for every level. And some of my nieces and nephews have been homeschooled, and so my family has used tools like this to supplement curriculum or to brush up or to sharpen skills. IXL Learning has won tons of awards, and so many students have benefited from it. So make an impact on your child's learning, get IXL now. And Ologies listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Ologies. So visit IXL.com slash Ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Oh, hey, it's that guy from work who goes to amusement parks alone and has to convince people he's not a creep. He just likes admiring the art design. Allie Ward, back with another episode of Ologies, in which we let one expert let his freak flag fly. And by freak, I mean flag. So we let his flag fly fly. This dude loves flags. I love him for it. But before we run this interview up the pole, let's thank a few folks, shall we? Okay, yes. So first of all, thank you to all the patrons at patreon.com slash ologies. Y'all make the show possible. It would not exist without you. I love your questions each week. Thank you to everyone buying Ologies merch like hats and shirts and totes at ologiesmerch.com. Uh, to everyone who supports a show for $0 just by gabbing about it or using your finger on your phone to keep it in the top 10 science podcasts by rating it. Subscribing also helps. Most of all, leaving a review, all of which get read by my tired and sometimes teary eyes because y'all are so kind. Such as, for example, Podcast Pretty, who says, this podcast is weird. And by weird, I mean perfectly vulnerable and fascinating and my new favorite podcast I've recommended to everyone. I am now making an effort to show up like I belong and try to have fun. Thanks, Allie. Thank you, Podcast Pretty, and everyone who leaves reviews. I do read them. I love them. Thank you so much. Okay, vexillology. Aren't you glad that there's a parenthetical flags after that? Because who knows what vexillology means? Where, where does this word even come from? Okay, buckle up. Shit's about to get cute. So vexillology has its roots in Latin for little sail. Vellum is a sail or a curtain, and it's related to veil. So if you rip a flag, are you piercing the veil? Because that would be a disaster. This reference will only make sense if you listen to last week's disasterology episode. And I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry to everybody else. That was cheap. And I went for it. Okay, so the term vexillology, it was coined in 1959 by a flag enthusiast and designer and political scholar, the late Whitney Smith Jr. And if you're like, damn it, I wish I were a vexillologist, but you're just a flag fan. Don't worry, you're still a vexillophile. Drop that on a first date. See how that's received. Hi. Okay, so this vexillologist came 
into my life one fateful day in Hawaii. I was on that Atlas Obscura trip with toothology guest squid expert, and as of a few days ago, Dr. Sarah McAnulty. And I was about to get a behind-the-scenes tour of the Majestic Bishop Museum on the island of Oahu, and wonderful persons, Hadley Anderson and Megan Ramsey, who are ologites and museum workers, met up with me. They hooked me up with a local flag expert. So we met the next day in my hotel. I rushed in straight from the beach with very bad hair and mascara on my face. And he was natally dressed in a vintage tiki suit. He had a fresh haircut. He was sipping some soda in the hotel bar. He handed me a miniature Hawaiian standard flag. We ducked into a room to chat flags. You're about to go through quite a journey hearing about everything from why flags exist to if you can get arrested for stomping on one, to how to dispose of a flag, to what flags have to do with conspiracy theories, to some pirate trivia, why Hawaii has a Union Jack on its flag, the hardest flags to draw, which colors we don't see on flags and why, which state flag needs a makeover the hardest, how to design a flag, how to store one, who designed our modern American flag, and how you two can have fun with flags all year round. So get ready to fly high with flag professional and vexillologist Tori Lytala. It's Lytala, L-A-I-T-I-L-A. Lytala? Lytala. Okay. I want to make sure I say that right. You are a vexillologist. <laughs> yes, I am a vexillologist. Vexillologist. Um, it's not an easy one to say. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> but my, my day job is registrar. Ooh. So I, I would consider myself an amateur vexillologist, mm -hmm. but um, I do do it as part of my day job. So I do get called on, upon, called upon to answer quite a few flag questions during the week. What does a registrar do? I'm an arts registrar, so I manage the city and county of Honolulu's public art collection. So a registrar is the person in a museum who handles all the records oh. and sometimes the physical objects. I handle a public art collection for the city and county of Honolulu. Oh my God. So right now we have 1,117 works oh. in the collection. As of today? As of today, yes. So Tori got his bachelor's in museum studies at the University of Manoa in Hawaii and spent 17 years as a registrar in Honolulu's mayor's office of culture and the arts. He was an expert in charge of public art collections and who flies, what flags, when. So starting in September, though, he'll be the curator of textiles and fashion at the Honolulu Museum of Art, which is very exciting for him. The dude digs flags. He loves fabric. How did you get into it? I actually have a background in art history. Really? I have a, my, my degree is in art history, but my focus was costume. I really, I was going to say, because you're very nettily dressed. You're very well dressed. You have lovely hair and an awesome uh, printed blazer. Well, I noticed you're a fan of vintage clothing, so I wore a tiki blazer today. Did you make this? Yes, I did. So side note, it's true that I have a collection of vintage dresses, not only do they never go out of style? But just try to beat a $24 hand-sewn thrift store gown that someone else farted in. You can't. History is rich, and I love it. So, Tori's blazer, by the way, was a replica of a type of 1960s tropical Polynesian-style sports jacket, which was unlined, so you could wear it in the tropics. 
and not schwitz too hard. But the originals tend to be made too small for this tall dude. So his work and passion for historical textiles involved not just flags, but clothes too. His career is like a rich tapestry. And it also does involve tapestries. And so you start dating, you can, ability to date clothes on and their usage, um, who used them. Because there was a time where, you know, the appearance of a person would dictate maybe their um, economic class, uh, occupation, and, and other things. Mm-hmm. I, I like to say that clothing is the most intimate of artifacts that tells you about a specific individual. And so does it make sense that you would also be interested in a fabric banner that says a lot about a country? Well, I did take a history of textiles class in college, mm-hmm. and that was never covered. So on my final, I brought it up, and that was my argument. We did not study these small pieces of cloth that have affected history and have caused people to die or give their life to over time. That wasn't. That, that was, was your final paper? Well, that was my final argument on the final for that class. What'd you get? What grade? I passed. Nice. Um, was your teacher forced to write? Nice at the end. Um, I think she reluctantly admitted that it wasn't covered in class. She's like, next year. Good point. All right, fine. She waved the white flag, if you will. Yes. So in his costuming and textiles final, he argued that flags were hugely important. And they were like, "Mm, guys got a point. As for the tiki culture throwback, it spans at least a generation. So Tori's mother was from Guam, an island of Micronesia that's a U.S. territory. And side note, has a very cute flag featuring a little blue background and what looks like a tiny portal of a tropical scene replete with a coconut tree and a canoe. And it also has a border of red around it to symbolize the hardships that the islands endured. It's a pretty great flag. Anyway, Tori's mom from Guam moved to Ohio and worked in this famous tiki bar, Columbus's renowned hangout, the Kahiki Tiki Bar, until the family moved to Hawaii when he was a teeny baby. And Tori spent his summers between the Midwest and Guam. Honestly, Google the Guam flag. It looks like a Girl Scout badge. It's very cute. So you had kind of an interest in island culture and a background in island culture? I grew up in Hawaii. I was born in Columbus, Ohio, and my parents moved to Hawaii. I was maybe like six months old. Oh, and so you've lived in Hawaii most of your life. Yes. And when did you kind of want to get into the preservation of its art and artifacts? Well, I've always liked things mm-hmm. stuff and you know how they work and what it comes and um when i went to college and i saw oh art history it's that mm-hmm. and so you know a little light bulb went off and said well i can like study history in the context of stuff <laughs> history in the context of items right um and now tell me a little bit about what it takes to get to know flags. Where did you start? Did you start just perusing books? So, um, I, I read a lot as a child. I mean, I had an encyclopedia at home and I would read the encyclopedia and just pull off a volume and start reading. <laughs> um, but my mother, for a short time, um, she was actually working a, at an import-export company. So, she would sell things to the shops in Waikiki. But she worked for a heraldry shop in Waikiki. What is that? So heraldry, well, a heraldry shot would be one where like, you would go in and they would look up your name and then they'd find the coat of arms for your name and you could buy stuff with that coat of arms on it. There's a picture of my own coat of arms, actually. So heraldry are coat of arms. Oh my God. They all have meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, the shield 
or the crest would have the coat of arms and it would tell you something about that person, whether it was whether they came from England or France or Germany, whether they were the second born son or what families married. And so you kind of started with that. Was that your entree? Was that like a creaky door? So the heraldry leads to <laughs> flags because a lot of flags use a similar language or are derived from that style of herald heraldry. Now, what's the difference between a flag and a pennant? Ooh, boy, howdy. Okay, buckle up for some vexillological terminology. So, a flag is usually rectangular uh, attached to one of its sides and can flutter in the wind. Mm -hmm. And a pennant is usually a streamer. Oh. Either pointed, so triangular, or maybe with a swallowtail. And the other item would be a gonfalon. What? So, a gonfalon would be a vertically hung pennant. So this is the first time I had ever heard the word gonfalon, but I looked it up and it's essentially a squarish flag or a seal, sometimes little tassels at the bottom, and it's hung from a crossbar. It kind of seems like something you'd see at the head of a formal procession or like a mass. But also, a gonfalon sounds a little too close to Kurt Vonnegut's Grand Falloon, which if you ever read Cat's Cradle, you might remember is the term for people who feel united but are really only tethered together by an association that's utterly meaningless. Then I started to spiral down an existential rabbit hole about nationalism and what it means to live on a bordered planet, but also community and belonging is important. Then I had to just snap out of it. Snap out of it! Anyway, Tori has a ton of flags at home, and I asked if they were kept in an orderly fashion. What's the best way to keep a flag? Rolled. Rolled, okay. Yes. Don't fold that thing unless it's specifically folded? Well, you can fold it. Okay. And interestingly, not every country has guidelines for folding a flag. Okay. So, in the U.S., we have where you, you'd fold the flag in quarters lengthwise, and then you'd do a triangular fold. There's one in the uh, Navy tradition because you can leave the flag folded, attach it to the halyard, and pull it up, and it'll automatically unravel. Well... And so the other common way, which the um, UK will do sometimes, and I believe Japan does, where they fold it into quarters, mm -hmm. and then it's folded into thirds, and then rolled up the last third, and then mm -hmm. tied with string. And so I know an, in UK tradition that you'll use a small piece of string, attach it to the halyard, and then when you pull it, when you give it a jerk, it'll break the string, and the flag unfurls. Ba -ba -da -ba! A too m much fanfare and trumpetry, correct? Fanfare. Fanfare. This is a trumpetry, not a word. <laughs> okay, so quick aside, trumpetry is the blaring sound of trumpets, and fanfare is a short and lively sounding of trumpets. So I hereby give you permission to say a fanfare of trumpetry, just to annoy anyone who's not a fan of redundant redundancies. Mm -hmm. But not every country has flag protocols like the U.S. I always think of like how... Easy Japan has it when you're a kid and you have to draw your flag. You're like, I got a dot in the middle. I'm good to go. And then Mexico's like, I got to draw a serpent and some kind of bird. Some flags are just geometric blocks. And then others have these drawings on them that are difficult to replicate. Who decides what goes on a flag? So it's, it's usually the country. Okay. Or the head of state. Okay. So if you look at a lot of older flags, they are just, you know, sometimes one. Mm -hmm. two, three colors, horizontal lines or vertical lines, you know, stripes. And, you know, that goes back to heraldry where there was the king and he might have a coat of arms and it might have one or two colors. So you replicate that 
on the flag. Oh, okay. Quick aside about the Japanese flag, also called the Hinomaru. So that big crimson dot is representing the sun, because Japan is known as the land of the rising sun. And while their big signature red dot on a field of white has been used since the 1400s, it was designed formally in 1870, it wasn't legally adopted until 1999. That's like being engaged for 129 years. Everyone just assumes you're married, but really, mm, there's drama at home. So folks opposed didn't like a certain shift toward post-war nationalism. So adopting it officially was a big deal, but it's been 20 years since it's been the flag of Japan by law. Bonus, it's pretty easy to draw though. Why is this a bonus? According to the North American Vexillological Society's 2006 edict, good flag, bad flag. There are a few key principles to designing a good flag. The five principles are, keep it simple. The flag should be so simple that a child can draw it from memory or an adult who's bad at drawing. Two, use meaningful symbolism. Number three, use two or three basic colors. Number four, no lettering or seal. Never use writing of any kind or an organization's seal. Wow, that law's broken a lot. Number five, be distinctive or be related. So avoid duplicating other flags, but use some similarities to show connections. Anyone who heard Roman Mars' spectacular 2015 TED Talk on city flags might be familiar with these flag fashion do's and don'ts, which make us all now qualified flag critics. Now, Mexico, I love you. Your flag, what the hell, man? Growing up, trying to draw the flag of Mexico with this ornate eagle eating a serpent while perched on a prickly pear, this was an exercise of childhood artistic humility or really for anyone without a studio art degree. But I did some reading, and knowing it's a symbol delivered by a god of war via a dream to an Aztec leader about where to settle what's now Mexico City, I'm like, all right, yes, this flag is very badass, and it's very beautiful, and I love it. Mexico, please don't be offended if my rendition looks like a cat eating a noodle. Now, as we talked, I was holding this small version of the Hawaiian flag, this red, white, and blue stripey number with a British flag where the U.S. stars would be on a U.S. flag. Wait, what? What's happening here? And now, why do you think red, white, blue, why are those colors so common? Or do I just think they're common because I'm holding a red, white, and blue flag and my, the country that I was born in has those colors? Well, in the U.S., we refer to it as red, white, and blue. In Hawaii, it's white, red, and blue. So that's the order of precedence for the lines. Oh, wait. So when you say red, white, and blue on an American flag, does that mean that the red stripes on top? So the red stripes red and white, and then blue is for the Union or the Canton, which is that field on the on the side. Oh yeah, give so me. So there are parts of the flag. Yeah, give me break me down some anatomy one one on a flag. So flags are usually square or rectangular, uh -huh. and the part that attaches to the halyard, which mm -hmm. is the rope that pulls it up and down, that's called the hoist. Okay. The opposite side is called the fly. Yes. And usually the top is the top or the head and the bottom is the bottom. Is that where on the fly comes from? On the fly being ready to go? Yeah, I don't know. Like, oh, I'm on the fly. Like, I'm no. on the, I don't know. No. I'm going to look it up. Okay, side note. On the fly is not a vexillological idiom. It comes from baseball, like a fly ball. And to recap, flagnatomy. So the field is the main area and the canton is the picture in picture area. And these specific terms were necessary because in the oldie timey days, you couldn't just airdrop your design. You had to like scream it into a tin can connected to another tin can and then etch it via a spent matchstick on some birch bark 
and then let an owl grasp it in its talons to drop off at the weaver. Now, we're in Hawaii, 50th star. Yes. Now, there wasn't a 49th star flag. Right, because Alaska and Hawaii, same time? Because they don't change the U.S. flag until July 4th of the following year. They don't? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, they were admitted the same time, Alaska. Within within the 12-month span to get... Nice, because that would have been a little bit awkward. So, there, there, I understand there are a few 49-star flags made, but they just delayed it and well, that made 50, 50 stars. Now, we have a 50-star flag. What about, say, Puerto Rico or Guam? Let's say those become states in the future. What would we do with a 51st? Could we put it anywhere? It would have to go back to design, and they would figure out where if they would change the arrangement of the field. Because there were times throughout the U.S. history where the arrangements of stars changed. I mean, f- people are familiar with the Betsy Ross flag, right. where they're in a circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, during the uh, Civil War, sometimes they were lined up. Sometimes they were arranged in circles mm-hmm. with, you know, a few outlier stars. Okay, quick aside. Is the Betsy Ross flag origin story flimflam? What's the deal? So a little more on that in a bit. But a fun fact Some folks, but not all, use the 13-star Betsy Ross flag as a throwback to pre-abolition days, which is gross and scary. Some people, probably a slim minority. So let's continue the discussion about U.S. territories and plunging a flag into them. Why aren't territories such as, for example, Guam and Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands and American Samoa states? So this is a discussion called the 51st state. And as of a 2017 referendum, 90% of voters in Puerto Rico chose statehood, although their voter turnout was pretty low. So it's hard to say how many people in Puerto Rico in general support it. So why are some U.S. territories states and others aren't? Is this just simply a design issue? Heads up, the 51st state debate probably is not a design issue. In fact, as a high school student, a guy named Bob Heft heard that Alaska was set to become the 49th state, and so a class project. He took his parents' flag with 48 stars on it then and spent days arranging 50 stars on it. His teacher thought his project sucked, gave him a B-. So Heft, looking for some extra credit, he petitioned Congress to accept it as the new 50-star design after Hawaii and Alaska became states. Ha! And it's been in rotation ever since. Thanks, Heft. Heft says he has a 51-star flag ready, should the country keep expanding. So no, the 51-state debate probably is not just a design issue. Goes a little deeper than that. And now, do you think that there's any holdup in maybe adding more states because we feel too lazy to change the flag? Got room for one more. Well, they could decide not to change the flag, but I would I would assume they would add stars okay. for any additional states. And what are the most common colors in flags that you see? Red, white, and blue are pretty prevalent globally mm-hmm. for flags. What do they mean? Well, they have varying degrees. Like, so in the U.S., they do have uh, a few poems, and and we could, we could actually look up the the Elks Lodge has a really nice poem and describes the the red, white, and blue of the flag beautifully, very, very poetically. So I did find on usflag.org that the colors red, white, and blue did not have meanings for America when it was adopted on the flag in 1777. However, the colors of the Great Seal did have specific meanings. So Charles Thompson, secretary of the Continental Congress, reporting to Congress on the seal, stated that white signifies purity and innocence, red hardiness and valor, and blue signifies vigilance, 
perseverance, and justice. So it was on the seal, and they were like, I just use it on the flag. Kind of like eating leftover pizza for breakfast, which is also very American. So I looked all over for this Elks Lodge poem, and I swear I could not find it. But I did find out that Idaho and Michigan both have elks on their flags. Michigan has what appears to be an elk dancing with a moose over a banner that reads circumspice, which I just learned in Latin is circumspice, and it means, hey, look around you. So Michigan, look around you. Maybe you'll see an elk dancing with a moose. God, that'd be dope. Do you ever have people show you a picture of a flag and quiz you to see if you know where it's from? They don't quiz me, but every once in a while we will <laughs> run across flags somewhere with some group and they where is this from? And and, and I and I have to look at it. I don't have all the flags mm-hmm. memorized. Um, it would be great. It'd be great trivia. Um, but in my daily work, my vexillological mm-hmm. duties usually <laughs> fall under the, what would be um, the job of the protocol officer. Okay. And so that would be determining order of precedence of flags. Oh my God. We're very specific about it. There are approximately one million rules in terms of how to fly an American flag, but I will summarize. So the U.S. flag always goes on the left when you're looking at it or on the tallest of the flagpoles or on the top of the flagpole with the state and the city flag under it. And you can't fly an advertising flag on the same pole as the U.S. flag. So if anyone's out there messing it up with their city flag and a banner for Metamucil and the U.S. flag all on one pole, woohoo, that's a real mess. Now, so. You go from larger political entity to smaller political entity. Mm -hmm. But uh, like the Olympics, when you have all the countries present, what order do you put them in? Right. So... Olympic Committee is usually alphabetical order of the language of the host country of the host country. Oh, so when okay. you see the procession of flags, it's in the alphabetical order of the language of the host country. The language of the host country. Right. Okay. Where do these rules get stored? Are they in a big dusty book, or do you have to check on a website that changes all the time? The big dusty book is called the U.S. Flag Code. Okay. <laughs> is it? How thick is this book? But fortunately, the U.S. government printing office does have a publication called Our Flag, which can be distributed and, and has pictures in it. So you know how to put the flags on display and you know if they're going to be crossed or if they go, if you put them across a north-south street, the unit has to be on the north side or if it crosses the, it, it, it details all these in, in the U.S. flag code. Are you a person that likes etiquette because it's interesting and kind of vintage and like Emily Post style or... Or do you begrudgingly um, acknowledge and adhere to etiquette? I do have a copy of Emily Post at home <laughs> and at work. <laughs> and at work, I also keep Letitia Baldridge as well. I don't know anything about Letitia Baldridge. So she was the protocol officer at the White House for over uh, two decades. I will be very honest. Protocol and etiquette freaks me out because there are so many tiny, quiet ways to fail. So you either have to go all in and read Miss Manners or Emily Post or just screw it and always be the social equivalent of a rhino with diarrhea, which I sometimes fear I am. And how about your wife? Is she as much of a stickler for etiquette or do you kind of make sure that you guys send presents in the right amount of time and write thank you notes? Are you guys different? We try. We try. Mm-hmm. Does she have kind of the same vibe? Um, I'll say we try. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we will refer. We will refer to. Well, we will have morning discussions where you know it'll be like uh, we'll go to the OED mm-hmm. or sometimes Emily Post does does live next to the OED when we have our morning discussions over breakfast. Sometimes we'll have <laughs> questions that come up, and so we'll just we'll just read the dictionary or or etiquette manual over breakfast conversation. Do you have a flagpole at your house? Um, before I was married, I had a flagpole in my house and outside my house. Really? Now, does one the inside stay out all the time, and outside you have to take down and put up every day? I have a light. Okay. So I can leave the flag up twenty four hours, and but I do not always fly the U.S. flag. Okay. So actually, I very rarely fly the U.S. flag on my flagpole outdoors, and where I used to live before, I, it was near my door. You know how you have it on your yeah on your on your uh, front porch, and I had neighbors, and they would kind of get a kick out of it, and sometimes they didn't figure out what the, what it was. So I'll, I'll fly a flag relating to the date. It's October third. Oh. Or a, spe- a specific or a significant event, and so if they don't know, they'll come over and say, "Oh, what's today or what's tomorrow?" How many flags do you have? Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, so, like, a hundred or so. A hundred. So, you change them out? Yes. Like every couple of days? As the mood is fit or weather. Because, you know, you can't have a storm flag, which is usually a smaller flag you fly on the same pole. So, you don't, your big flag doesn't get as beat up. Oh my God. And so, I, uh, if it's stormy, I won't fly a flag, but I will have flags. Like, you know, um, like for Oktoberfest, I'll fly the Bavarian flag. Um, oh. For royal holidays in Hawaii, I do fly the royal standard, mm-hmm. and I do have some of the standards of the monarchs and some of the princesses. There's Anzac Day or, you know, Canada Day or Australia Day. I'll fly the appropriate flag. Or- oh. Anzac, by the by, stands for Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, and it's the Australian version of Memorial Day, but it's in April. And about a month later, Australia also recognizes Aboriginal suffering with Sorry Day. I mean, simple to the point. And among the activities on Sorry Day is raising the Aboriginal flag, which is a really beautiful design of a black top half representing the Aboriginal people of Australia, a red bottom half for the earth and the ochre that they use in ceremonies, and in the middle, a yellow circle for the sun. Beautiful, simple, gorgeous. What about, um, did you uh, put out a pride flag at all, or is that is that in the neighborhood? I am in receipt. It's still in my office mm-hmm. of a pride flag from San Francisco from the mayor. Oh, my gosh. So, I haven't, I haven't, it's a really nice flag, because I, I, I will fly, use the fly the economy flags at home. Mm-hmm. This is a nice flag, so I have one. I just haven't, it's a nice flag. So, side note, we recorded this in late June, which was Pride Month, and that led me down a rabbit hole to the history of the Pride flag. It was designed by the late artist and activist Gilbert Baker before the 1978 Gay Freedom Day Parade in San Francisco, and it initially had eight stripes, and they each had specific meaning. It had a hot pink stripe that stood for sex, red stood for life, orange, healing, yellow, sunlight, green, nature, turquoise, magic, and art, indigo, serenity, and violet, spirit. But hot pink fabric was hard to come by in the 70s, apparently, and eventually the turquoise and the indigo were just blended into one royal blue stripe. And Gilbert Baker was a huge part of shaping pride culture, and he was also an activist with the drag nun group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. His nickname? Busty Ross. So after you're done flippy-flapping them around outside, do you have to iron them? Do you have to Febreze them? What's the protocol? 
And what about washing flags? How do you wash them? So you can get them dry cleaned. Oh. So flags nowadays are made out of typically nylon, polyester, or cotton. Mm -hmm. Um, Historically, they were made out of wool or silk. It's much more hardy material. Um, I kind of like polyester because you can get polyester that will have the texture of wool. It'll, 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 It'll... flow nicely in the breeze nylon's a little stiffer and mm-hmm. and depending on the material um dictates how long it'll last and cotton cotton can be nice but if cotton gets wet the colors do or can run and isn't it these colors don't run you don't so don't put a cotton flag outside in the rain okay but maybe go for a polyester or a nylon one correct or wool if you want to make it yourself. Can you get a wool flag? It's very rare to get a wool flag. You can have one made. Um, so you can actually do um, like have a flag company make you a flag and they'll still be like hand stitched. And, and there are companies that make flags in the U.S. and there's still people that in the factory that will hand sew the flag together. Huh. But you got to use some cedar chips or something because like what could be worse than having a moth eat your your flag? Well, you fold it up and you, and you put it in a case. How do you feel when um, someone drapes themselves in a flag for their album covers? I'm thinking there's got to be like 10 different musicians who have done that. That's what bunting is for. What is bunting? So bunting are pieces of material mm-hmm. um, in red and white stripes or sometimes with blue and white stars that are rep- reminiscent of a flag, but not a flag. What makes them different? They're different lengths? Well, it's not the ratio of a flag with a field of red and white stripes and the union in the crown. It's usually maybe a long piece of fabric that's just maybe two or three stripes of color and maybe stars on one end or not. That would be kind of like a costume flag. like. Or you can put it on your patio on the 4th of July or decorate your float or maybe your speaker's um, podium. You mm-hmm. decorate it with bunting. Now, what are you going to do for 4th of July? Fourth of July, I will fly the Betsy Ross flag. Oh, nice. And now I need to look up her story. Do you like her story? Is it worth telling? Are you like, eh, it's apocryphal? Well, you know, there are theories on who or who came about with the flag. And and there is some evidence for that um, she did sew a flag. And um, with the stars in the circle arrangement, we will acknowledge that it's being the Betsy Ross design, although Mm -hmm. there were other designs. At the time. Is there any truth to the fact that George Washington's wife would... would So there's a story that's passed down through the Ross family that says, you know, there was a meeting and the generals got together and Betsy Ross was the wife of one of the generals and Washington was there. They did a little sketch and so she sewed the flag. And so there is that story. Is that the truth? What do you think happened? There were other flags that were flown by American patriots mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, we from the most familiar with like the Bunker Hill flag or the Gadsden flag, the Don't Tread on Me flag. And so you have oh, these other wow. flags that were used during the American Revolution. And and the red and white or the stars and stripes as they became, came to be called, you know, really became the, the one that was accepted nationally. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the Don't Tread on Me flag? Um, it's fine, you know. They have it's a, it's another flag that has its uses, and and some people have adopted it today to mean other things. Right, Gadsden's flag. Side note is primarily mustard yellow, and it features this impossibly coiled and I guess ready to strike rattlesnake with thirteen rattles representing the original colonies. It dates back to that time, and it's sometimes used in modern day by conservative parties to harken back. I guess, to an era when the country was smaller and we didn't have indoor plumbing and rattlesnakes were able to 
hover in the air like a broken mattress spring. Must have been a wild era. But there are some mocking don't tread on me memes that are just a source of priceless parody. Uh, I suggest you Google these. One of my favorites involves a cartoon baby snake that just says, please no steppy. And another of a foot on the snake and the text below it. I specifically requested the opposite of this. And then there's one that retains the original don't tread on me text, but just the image of a single Lego. Anyway, changing up flags for fun. So do you have a calendar memorized or do you have a planner that has like, hey, change a flag today? I try and write significant dates on my calendar. Mm -hmm. That's smart. Do you check it every day? I still have a written calendar. Oh God, me too. I'm very low tech. I have a wall calendar on my wall at home and a desk calendar on my desk at work and they're both handwritten mm-hmm. notations so they have to have big squares so you can put things in them um, and I'll just go back and forth and check and and um, there are a few historical calendars out there that are really fun to look at you know that have like you know you know on this day in history and so you can you know add those to your calendars whichever seem significant or that you enjoy and put that on your calendar If you're in the U.S., September's got a few flag-worthy days. Uh, This episode will come out on Labor Day, the evening of. You can celebrate unions. September 11th, the flags will be flown at half-staff or half-mast if you're on a boat. Constitution Day, a.k.a. Nomology O'Clock, is September 17th. There is National Prisoner of War and Missing in Action Day, September 19th. And Native American Day is September 27th in California and Nevada. But Indigenous Peoples Day is the second Monday of October nationwide. This led me to a website that sold flags, crwflags.com. They have all manner of banners, including some with different dog breeds emblazoned on it. Wouldn't you know it, that CRW flags themselves have a flag. It's a red, white, and blue one, and it says CRW flags in brush script. It's a choice. It's an artistic choice. Do you have a favorite looking flag? One that you're just like, man, I wish we had that one. Well, one of my favorite flags, it's hard to tell which one is your favorite, because there's a, there's a flag I fly a lot at home, but mm-hmm. a really cool looking flag is Ohio. What? Really? I'm sorry, Ohio, for doubting you. I, okay, tell me about it. It's a swallowtail pennant. Damn, Ohio. I had no idea you had what patent-holding flag designer John Eisenman describes as a, quote, triangular forked or swallowtailed flag corresponding to the shape generally known as a cavalry guidon or broad pennant. So beloved is Ohio's flag. It's even sold as a necklace. So a patented pennant pendant, if I may be a pedant. Pardon. So that means it's pointy, but then the end is in a point. It's got a swallowtail in it. So it can you can fly it upside down. It still looks right side up. But who else has a swallowtail pennant? No one. How'd they get so fancy? They got tux tails. Well, it's all about the hills and the valleys and the rivers and of Ohio. Oh, man. And ever, the rest of us all just have squares? Well, if you look at the flag code, mm-hmm. so there is a government specification on the the ratio of the flag, the height and the width. Mm-hmm. Um, and some states and other municipalities have different sizes. So some flags are a little more square. Um, some are a little more rectangular. But most of us in practical usage will fly what's referred to as the NATO standard. Okay, some standard sizes, three by five, four by six, but what's the smallest flag you want to know? Is it the size of like your thumbnail? Maybe your pinky nail? Smaller? Is it the size of a crumb of banana bread? Oh, 
You have no idea. So I looked it up, and according to the Guinness Book of World Records, there exists a flag that is one one hundredth the width of a human hair. It's only viewable with an electron microscope. Who made this? What wizardry is this? What is on the flag? A maple leaf. And it was made with UV photolithography on a wafer coated with electron-sensitive hydrogen silsequiosane film by the Institute for Quantum Computing, Nanofab, in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. I'm pretty sure I said some of those words wrong. Please bear with me, nanotechnologists. Canadians, this achievement is small, but it is mighty. It's absurdly awesome. And it makes the palm-sized Hawaiian flag Tori gave me just seems gargantuan in comparison. And now, okay, tell me a little bit about the Hawaiian flag, because what I know from being here this week is that there are great ways to make a statement with a flag that I didn't realize that you could do. And so the Hawaiian flag, how would you describe it? The Hawaiian flag is rectangular. Mm -hmm. The ratio is one to two. Okay. It has a field of eight stripes with white, red, and blue alternating mm -hmm. and a Union Jack in the canton. Mm -hmm. How did they come up with this design? So it was during the reign of Kamehameha I where Hawaii started trading. And so ships needed ways to recognize themselves when they went to foreign ports. And so when Hawaii started trading outside of Hawaii, it needed a flag to be recognized. And so they came up with the Hawaiian flag. And it was drafted by a British officer. Side note, Kamehameha the Great was a ruler who united the Hawaiian Islands in the late 1700s. And here's a fun tidbit. His full name is... Another fun tidbit, I did not say that. Hawaiian-born patron Iris McPherson did, because I did not trust my mouth and brain and eyes to get it together on that. Anyway ruled through 1819. And this has nothing to do with anything, but one of his wives took the throne after his death, and among the things she changed was that women were finally allowed to eat bananas. It's bananas. She was also Protestant. There was a lot of badness with missionaries. Eventually, the U.S. took control of the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1893 in an overthrow that Congress has since admitted was illegal, which is why just in general, a Union Jack flag seems a little awkward. It's kind of like dating someone who still has their ex's name tattooed on their stomach. And maybe that was a toxic relationship, but also they never wanted to date you, but you're forcing them illegally. Anyway, everyone just shrugs like, wow, that's a lot of bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And it does hold the Union Jack because of the close alliance between Hawaii and um, um, Britain at the time. Now, Come hand me the first liked flags too, so he would just fly whatever flag he liked at his <laughs> compound. Now, what is flown most commonly in Hawaii? You see the Hawaiian flag. Now, the Hawaiian flag, as far as I know, is the only flag that has flown unchanged for five different forms of government. Why is that? Why didn't they switch it up at all? I guess for continuity. I mean, mm -hmm. it flew under a absolute monarchy, mm -hmm. a constitutional monarchy, a republic, a territory, and a state, and they did not change the flag. When it became a state, the U.S. didn't say like, okay, real cute, you got a Union Jack, that era's over, people. Well, you know, it, it was there, 
out of the territory and they just they mm-hmm. kept the flag. And I have heard a little bit about the way the flag is flown can express different viewpoints, sentiments, protestations, perhaps. Is it flown upside down, right side? What what does it mean? So when a flag or any flag is flown upside down or visibly upside down, mm-hmm. it's a sign of distress. A little help, please. Mm-hmm. So it's usually like maybe sending out an SOS signal to somebody because there was a time where flags were our communication. So when a ship came into port um, and you're expecting somebody to be on that ship, if you saw their flag at half mast, mast on a ship, you knew somebody had passed away. Mm. If it was flying upside down, you know that that ship was in trouble or distress. Oh, wow. You would have to know a little bit about the flag that you're looking at. Correct. Right. And then some flags, um, they look the same right side, right side up or upside down. Oh, no. What do you do? You'd be in trouble. Yeah. And so what does it mean in the Hawaiian flag if it's flown upside down? Well, that is a sign of distress. And some people in Hawaii do fly it upside down as a sign of protest. I, I found it fascinating that that we were told by guides like, oh, you know, th- if you look at the flag this way, and I, I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. It's funny that the flag is demands a certain kind of respect and that the people can talk back to authority by using the signal of the authority itself, you know? So there is um, some protest. I mean, there have been a, there has been a sovereignty movement mm-hmm. in Hawaii, and currently there is actually a anti-development movement in some locations of, of Hawaii, and so they'll fly the flag upside down as a protest. So inverting a flag has long been a statement by indigenous populations, and a Lakota activist, Russell Means, once said, an upside-down flag is an international sign of distress. Now we, the Indian nations, are in distress. I will wear this flag upside-down as long as my people are in distress. Tori says you can fly the Hawaiian royal standard flag upside down instead of the Hawaiian flag if, say, you're, you're supporting the Hawaiian sovereignty movement or protesting the building of the 30-meter telescope on top of a sacred volcanic summit. Remember, Tori is a gentle soul who respects etiquette. But protests aren't necessarily supposed to tiptoe around the feelings of the oppressors. Now, if you're going to piss someone off with a flag, you got to make it a real burn. Ooh, which reminds me. If you burn the flag, will you get thrown in jail? So you can burn the flag on the First Amendment, but you may also burn a flag to dispose of it. So there are a couple of ways of disposing a flag. So when a flag is tattered or worn, so it is a rectangle. Mm -hmm. And when the ends fray, you can, you know, hem it so you can get some more life out of it. Uh But when it starts really falling apart, the colors really fade, you can... Cut it up so it's no longer a flag. You know, you cut out the canton so it's just the stripes. And you just cut up into little pieces and you can throw it away because it's no longer a flag. Or you can ceremoniously burn it. And so I know a lot of veterans groups and a few scout groups that will do it. So if you have your, you know, you take your flag to your local flag shop, they may be able to give it to somebody. And it's usually folded and then placed on a fire. And oh, burned. I was thinking you'd just toss it in like an old bath towel but that makes more sense that you would do it more ceremoniously because it is it is it is a national symbol so you Mm -hmm. treat it with signs of respect and even the touching the ground i mean okay if you're somewhere and and a flag falls down and you didn't mean for that that's okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know you don't want to like drag the flag on the ground purposefully you know that's you want to take care of this national symbol because you have to remember time i mean we use the term flag but they're also known as standards or colors yeah so when you were in a unit or you went to battle 
it's not like you had like you know you didn't go to the flag store and buy 20 flags no you had a flag yeah you had, you had your color guard who would co- protect the colors along with the color bearer or the color sergeant and that mm-hmm. was your rallying point or nationals or your symbol of your unit or or your nation so that was your one flag you didn't have lots of flags going around okay so side note back in the day wars would be won or lost based on the flag like if someone snatched your flag you lost a war hence the game capture the flag so if you're a person who's like it's just a piece of fabric. Everyone just chill out, i.e. me, Allie Ward. I guess you have to see it in the context of a bunch of dead people to whom these colorful tablecloths meant they had new overlords. And now what do you think of people who put American flags on their cars around 4th of July or after September 11th? So how did, did you did you ever see that? Did you guys have that here? Yes. Uh, why, not, why not do that more often? Yeah. I'm wondering about that. I mean... This is side note, super side note, but around after September 11th, I remember I did a road trip and I happened to go to Las Vegas to meet up with some people from work. Aside the point, I kept seeing these flags on the side of the road in tumbleweeds. And so I started to pull over and get them because I thought it was so interesting that they were just being shed from cars like this patriotism was kind of sloughing off. Fell off the mm-hmm. car. Okay. Yeah. And so I would see one up ahead. I'd see the red in the in a bush or a tumbleweed and I'd I had a Miata at the time and I'd skirt so dangerous and then I'd go out and I'd grab the flag and then I had a Sharpie and I would mark where I got it from and the date and then I would roll it up and and put it all together and I did it it's been it's been 18 years since September 11th and I think I have like 50 or 100 flags then they're from all over the country from just driving and being like oh there's one and I've missed so many because it would have been so, so dangerous so it's like you're a I'm like it's like I'm a and I want to put them up somewhere. But um, it is interesting to me how they're different textures, different amounts of tattered. But I wondered how a vexillologist felt about automotive ones if they're prone to falling off. Is that like, yay, you're flying it or oh, no, you're endangering it? Well, I do, I do like having a flag on a car. And, you know, there, were, there are those devices that you can clip to your window. Mm-hmm. But there is also there's actually a protocol for attaching it to vehicles. Really? What is it? So you don't see it too often anymore, but there was the time where you would actually have a post physically mounted to like the front bumper of your car. And so it's very, very secure mm-hmm. and the flag would be on there. And the flag is not just stapled to the, it's actually well attached to the post. And then, so you could drive around with the flag on the vehicle. Almost like a presidential motorcade situation. Correct. I feel like that's the only time I've seen one like that is like on a presidential limousine. And I have seen it on like flag officers. Let's switch gears from automotive flags to global ones. Guess how many countries there are in the world? Before I Googled this today, I was like 1,004 million. I had no idea. There are 195, which means there are 109 country flags you can memorize to impress people. My nephew did this. He was seven. We were all very impressed. Now, what do you do if you don't have a brain as sharp as a seven-year-old? I bet that there are flashcards where you can flash a card and have to guess. There's got to be a, there's got to be a parlor game. There, that was more um, common in the 19th century. You'd have like remember cigarette cards, mm-hmm. and so you'd have cigarette cards with flags on them, and just so you, you could carry these around and say, "Oh, I, I know what that flag looks like," or "I know what this flag looks like." Or, <laughs> this back in the back in the day, par- I think there's got to be a parlor game. Did I look this up? Of course. Is there one? Of course. Flags of the World is a board game you can play guessing the flappers of countries. And the game captain on YouTube provided a 25-minute video tutorial and 
a review. So the first clue says over 90% of the population are Albanians in this country, which lies north of Macedonia. Is it Kosovo? Correct! So if you want to get good at flags, get your mitts on flags in the world. I did notice that it's for people eight years and up. And I'm sure that my seven-year-old nephew would kick all of our asses and just hand them back to us on a platter, and we would be impressed. Did you ever play flag football? I did play flag football. Were you like, I'm only using American and Hawaiian flags? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to remember, when the term flag doesn't have to be these 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 symbols. It could mm -hmm. also be utilitarian. Mm -hmm. You know, like flag football, sprinkler flags, a checkered flag. Mm -hmm. You know, they have other meanings, and they're more utilitarian. Semaphore flags. What about uh, surrender flags? That's more of a utilitarian tool because it didn't stand for anybody. It was just a white flag. Was that just someone taking gauze off and what? Could be anything. I mean, you know, if you have to surrender, you use whatever you have. Someone take their underpants off. <laughs> I got to wave something here. Can I ask you questions from listeners? Sure. Okay. But before we unfurl your questions, a few words from sponsors of the show who make it possible to make a donation to a charity of each ologist choosing. And this week, Tori said he'll go with Connecting to Collections Care, a program under the American Institute for Conservation that provides resources to those individuals and institutions working with collections, and it helps smaller cultural institutions provide well-informed care for valuable collections. So it's supported by the Foundation for Advancement in Conservation, which seeks to increase understanding of our global cultural heritage. And that donation is made possible by the following sponsors that I like very much. Ologies with Allie Ward is sponsored by Squarespace, and Squarespace has been part of my daily life for the last seven and a half years. Ologies might not exist without Squarespace. I had to make a website for this, and I was so intimidated. It took me over a year, and then one night I was like, you know what? I've heard about Squarespace. I'm going to try it, and now look at us. If you don't think you need a website, guess what? You probably do, especially if you're an academic. Have some place where all your papers are. People can contact you. Anyway, they have so many tools for entrepreneurs. They have Fluid Engine, which is this kind of next generation website design system. It's from Squarespace. It's drag and drop technology. You can use it on desktop or mobile. They also have an asset library so you can manage all of your files from this central hub and then you can use them across the whole platform. They have professional website templates. They have designs for every category, every use case, no matter what you need a website for. Get a website, start your business. Look, it worked for me. Ding. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You could do it. You could do it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So is my brain. Here's a thought experiment. Think of all the time that you spend just scrolling on things or not doing the things you want to do. I know time is the most valuable thing that you have. Boy, let me tell you, I had to learn this over time. You know what helped? Therapy. Therapy can help you figure out what matters most to you and how to prioritize it so that you like your life more. And where I learned that was better help because yes, I have been a client. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I know how hard it is to get started. BetterHelp makes it very easy. It's entirely online. It's convenient. It's flexible. You take a quick questionnaire. They match you with a therapist. Instead of just Googling and trying to find someone with an opening, BetterHelp makes it very accessible. And I like that. It's also more affordable than traditional therapy. And you can chat. You can text. You can do video calls. You can do phone calls. For some reason, you are not vibing with your therapist. You can switch at any time. No extra cost. No drama. So let me tell you. 
Time is precious. Figure out where you want to spend yours. And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. So that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. It's about time. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? Could be better. I feel ya. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Rituals like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got Ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go bye-bye Z's. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. There'll be a link in the show notes to that nonprofit and to the sponsors. Okay, on to your flag inquiries. Okay. This is exciting. I, 105 questions about flags. People have been wanting this one for a while. Jack asked, Isle of Man, what's going on there? I have no idea what he's talking about. So the Isle of Man, I believe, is the only flag with a triscal. It's a three extended device on a field of red. A three extended device? Huh? Like how you have a cross would be four extensions. Mm-hmm. It, they actually have three extensions. Oh. I'm trying to remember if, it was, if it's arms or legs. How did they get permission to do that? I, I believe it goes back to uh, heraldry because it, um, those limbs are, are a heraldic device. Oh, my God. I was like, fuck is this flag? So I looked it up and the Isle of Man is an island right smack between Ireland and England, just floating between them like an only child of a divorced couple. And according to our friend Workerpedia, it is a self-governing British crown dependency. So its flag is red with three armored knight's legs smack in the middle, just like a wheel of disembodied legs that have found each other and formed a new terrifying entity that loves jogging. But just when you think that's weird, like a human centipede made of robo legs, you get a gander at Sicily's flag, which is the same leg configuration, but naked and with a face in the middle that looks like if Barbie got stoned and went to Olive Garden. They also tossed in a pair of angel wings and some leafy dongs. You thought flags were boring, didn't you? Hell no. People light them on fire. They die for them. They have grassy looking dicks on them. So many of you wanted to know why they even exist. Like, for example, Taryn Fernandez. Jack, Steph, Julie Bear, Heather Deckel, Erica, Ellen Vosakiel, Holly Andrews, Deli Dames, and Jam Cruz, first time question asker, says, was there a specific moment when flags became a thing for every country? Well, that's a good question because I would say flags and its use, I mean, go back to like Babylonia mm-hmm. and um, the Romans used them. Okay. And different different styles and different ways and pennants and, and gonfalons as we use. But I think 
probably, and this is just my opinion, you know, with the United Nations, with the League of Nations or the United Nations, and then the Olympics is where you really needed something to rally behind politically, not necessarily for military. So I think flags really became uh, a more popular and more visible. And it's at the Olympics where you actually saw duplication. Like there would be times where the country would have almost the same flag oh, or sometimes the same color and the same and so what do you do it's like you know oh. you show up at the party with the same dress what do so, you do same gown at the oscars you gotta change it now is that your favorite part of the olympics are you there for the open ceremony i like the opening ceremonies okay mark your calendars for july 24th 2020 opening ceremonies summer olympics tokyo japan flagapalooza there will be a quiz hadley wants to know did you love the fun with flag segment on the big bang theory it's called Fun with Flags. I enjoyed it. It could have been expanded. <laughs> and it, 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 you know, we've been doing that for a while. So, yes, the Fun with Flags was, was enjoyable. Um, Zane Lieber. Hi, Hadley. Oh, hi, Hadley. I know. I was like, I just realized I was like, Hadley. Hadley works at the Bishop Museum in Hawaii. Introduced me to Tori. She is a peach. Now, the next topic was also on the minds of patrons Megan King and Aviva Elizabeth. Zane Liebram wants to know, are there any vessels out there that still fly the black Jolly Roger flag? And yes. if so, why do they do it? What is it? Okay, so there are there are different... So people think of the Jolly Roger as as the one, and I've actually seen a Molly Roger. Ooh. So it's actually a cat of nine tails, and a, the skull has lipstick on it. <laughs> modern modern designer came with the Molly Roger. But you have these pirate flags, and they were slightly different. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Edward Teach had a, 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 like a, a skeleton and a heart and so they actually had meanings but they were the black flag of the pirates and um not to endorse piracy but you know there are those pirate ships that you can go on parties on they do fly the pirate flag and why did they have that jolly roger was that just like a oh shit we're here and we're gonna mess your stuff up so watch out everyone well that was that was the way that ships communicated with each other and so sometimes a ship would fly a false flag to get in close Oh my and then, God. Uh, and when they attacked, then they would fly up whatever flag that they're flying under. So privateers, remember, privateers were the legal pirates, and then you had pirates. Oh, I didn't know that privateers were legal pirates. So a, pri a, a pirate would be raiding mm -hmm. other ships, and a privateer was somebody raiding for their country under. They were sanctioned. Ugh. So then they were just thieves, and then they were like, "I'm thieves for my country." Wow. Privateers. So, what do you think of false flag conspiracy theories? False flag conspiracy theories. Ugh, I'll put it aside here. Some people think that some tragedies are inside jobs. Like, for example, the fleshy embodiment of human conflict, InfoWars host Alex Jones for a long time denied that mass shootings such as Sandy Hook were real, saying it was, quote, a giant hoax. Now, he has since admitted in a deposition that those assertions were, quote, a form of psychosis where I basically thought everything was staged, even though I'm learning a lot of things aren't staged, quote. Now, the term false flags comes from pirate ships flying other countries' flags during attacks and that misled their victims in terms of, like, who's to blame for this? But pirates and conspiracy theorists aside, some false flags apparently have totally existed, the conflict that led us into the Vietnam War, the Gulf of Tonkin conflict in the mid-60s that was used to justify the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War, turns out part of that attack on U.S. naval ships was an outright fabrication. Now, a less super serious issue, how ugly are city flags? Again, Roman Mars TED Talk, illuminating as hell, it made me look up the L.A. city flag, which features 
these zigzag bands of color. There's green, gold, and red, with the city seal just plunked right in the middle. Now, in a 2015 Time Out article titled, quote, We need to talk about the Los Angeles city flag. This flag was described as a Rastafarian clipart nightmare. Can we switch it up? I wondered. Can a city built on a culture of before and after photos change its flag? I am not the only concerned citizen with this question, as patrons, including Sarah Terry, Jessica Frizz, Ezra, Caroline Schmeichen, Dorian Gray, Megan McLean, Christopher Rojo, Liana, Ira Gray, and Todd Peterson all wanted to know. Schmitty Smith wants to know, how best should folks go about trying to update a bad city flag? Are grassroots movements like the People's Flag of Milwaukee common? Well, I actually have a listing of American city flags. And there was a TED Talk a while ago, mm -hmm. and, and I got a few flag queries about my city flag mm -hmm. where I work. And I have to say there are a few cities that actually have changed their flags. Really? Yes. And so, I have, I have heard of, I believe Sacramento was one that with the last few years where they actually changed the city flag and they have a contest. And surprisingly, there are a lot of contests that go back to these flags, even, you know, for a hundred or so years mm -hmm. to have um, contests to submit designs and then they get reviewed and and approved. And so, yes, you could go about changing your city flag or, or municipality or locality if they some some of them don't have any. So you could propose one and you know, I say you go before your, your local council or committee and propose a flag. Make some noise. Yeah. Like the Honolulu flag is one of those that was considered not so nice because they just took the city seal and they stuck it on a field of yellow, but specifically it's Ilima yellow because that's this island flower. But you know, you could do something else like yeah. use maybe some heraldic device or if there's there's a landmark or a bird or a flower and incorporate that into your flag. And, and, and I have to agree with some of the people on that TED Talks to say, if you're going to put text on your flag, it's probably not a great flag. Oh, good, good call. You know, you should be able to say it in imagery, perhaps. Right. The iconography of flag. Iconography. Good call. Um, there was a show called Community and they had a flag made for their school, but it, um, it looked like an asterisk, but it wasn't well received. Um, I've heard of the show. I haven't yes. It. No. Yeah. It features a large pink asterisk. Looks like a pilot hole. This is classic Greendale. That place deserves an anus flag. Natalie Cruz Aguayo asks, how do you feel about the current kneeling versus standing for the flag debate in the U.S. and how do you personally believe that flag should be respected? I believe the flag should be respected because it is our, na the U.S. flag is our national symbol. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, we should respect it. If you're in the military, you render honors or salute. I try and stand. Mm -hmm. Whenever it is, and you should face either the flag or where the music is coming from. The civilian salute is the hand over your heart or take off your hat. But I think uh, respect should be, be given to the flag. It is our national symbol. Mm -hmm. So there are other ways of, of expressing other actions, at least for our national symbol, we all should stand behind. Different people have different views on this. In America, some people feel that the flag has been kind of reappropriated as a symbol of nationalism and a nostalgia for a time when people had fewer personal freedoms. So I think to use it to amplify the voices of people seeking the freedom this nation was founded on is a respectful means to an end. You may disagree. That's okay, too. Anyway, I changed the subject to hands over hearts, specifically mine. I have, I got my hand stuck in an escalator when I was four and I have terrible scars in my right hand and it's fine now. But at the time I was like 
pretty stoked that I was like, I always knew which hand to put over my heart because I was like four. So I was like, which one do I put? And I was like, yeah, it's the one with the scars. And so then I, I could always tell my hands apart. It was, I wouldn't recommend getting your hand stuck in an escalator though. There are better ways of figuring it out. Um, let me see. Uh, ooh, Ashley Herbal has a great question. With space exploration expanding, should we have an official earth flag to represent ourselves when we find other life? There are earth flags what? out there. What are they? Um, there are actually several. There hasn't been one that's been approved or recognized by everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are like SETI flags and then there's like you have the Earth Day flag, which has the picture of the Earth on it. There's another one I like, which is actually developed in the U.S., where you actually just have uh, an arc of yellow that represents the sun mm. and then like little dots for the planets and then the large one that represents the earth and so there are other science flags out there some of them are geometric patterns with different colors to represent the arrangement of, of earth and the solar system but no there are planetary flags out there already now do you fly them on earth day do you fly an earth day flag so i have i have one of these science earth flags and i will fly it on days related to science Really? Like, what other science days are there? Oh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. There was a there was a walk for science. I mm -hmm. think. I think maybe if I had um, uh, Madame Curie's um, birthday, or maybe when the Nobel awards go out, or maybe when uh, the Voyager uh, probe anniversary or something like that, I'd fly nice. that flag. Man, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna start ha having to get flags now. Did you know that National Moth Week is the last week of July? Because now you do. I just went to see if there are any moth-themed flags out there, and sadly, no. But it does seem the perfect time to fly a woolen flag that's been moth-eaten. A moth buffet of freedom and fibers. Meredith Moy wants to know, is there any significance in countries that have flags of the similar patterns and same colors, but in different order, like France versus Paraguay? Belgium versus Germany, etc. Well, you have a lot of those, um, we could say old world flags mm -hmm. where they really are established and, and basing on national colors. So they're very, very simple. Oh. And so those are older flags as opposed to some of the modern flags where you have a little more iconography on or modern iconography. So you have like like the Scandinavian cross, like really all the countries of Scandinavia, it's that same cross pattern in different colors. So side note, why do so many Scandinavian countries have that Nordic cross motif? I was like, mm, this is going to be some old good Viking shit, like maybe where the land intersects with the sea or like the latitude of the summer sun. But no, it's just a straight up Christianity symbol. So what about flags that look like Neapolitan ice cream? You know, it's like the, the tricolor. You have the French tricolor. I mean, you have, um, you know, Ireland and Italy. It's, it's basically using national colors just on a flag. Oh, okay. So it's just kind of like, hey, we're cousins a little bit. Or the flags are old enough. We just needed, we just needed a couple of colors on it. Back then. Back, you know, back so in the day, simple. we just needed one or two colors on the flag, and it was just one color or two colors. And Vendretta wants to know if you have a least favorite U.S. state flag. A least favorite U.S. state flag. Um, well, there there are a few that are just fields of blue with with the the coat of arms of the state on it and and the date, and you know they they they're they're not as engaging as some of the more colorful ones with with hidden iconography. I wasn't going to look this up, but I did on a whim. Holy shit. Look up all the state flags in the United States. So many are a seal on a field of blue. Like, take a page out of Ohio's book. Make something weird. Or Oregon. Oregon has a front and back. There's a cartoon beaver chilling on a log on the back, just like, Hi. New Mexico, a bright golden yellow with a red sun motif to honor Pueblo roots. 
Hell yeah. Marilyn's flag looks like a jumble of wallpaper swatches or a magic eye poster, but I respect the daring of it. Those are all do's. A don't? Mm, I'm looking at you, Mississippi, with a Confederate flag in your canton. So Mississippi's flag, dating back to 1894, some have called state-sanctioned hate speech, and it continues to fly. There's a Mississippi-born artist, though, named Lawrence Dennis, and she's proposed a new design. It's cleaner visually, emotionally, but numerous bills to make it the new Mississippi state flag have failed. Mississippi, can you do me a solid? Get this shit together. It's 2019. B. Wilson says, so I recently found out that pledging allegiance to a flag is sort of an American thing. And as a kid, I always felt really weird doing it. Uh, and now I feel like a lot of other people do too, so I don't feel so weird. Essentially, in terms of flag history, especially globally, are there any other countries that pledge allegiance to a flag? Oh, that's a good question. I do know other national anthems, some with words, some without words, mm -hmm. some a little more long, some a little short. Uh, I'm not familiar with other pledges. P.S. You know the under God part? That was added much later. You can thank President Dwight Eisenhower, who just wanted to toss it in because he thought it would freak out communists. That's a fun thing to talk about at dinner with your new girlfriend's parents. Get into it. A few people asked, where's the purple? Those people's names I will now say with my mouth. They are Jack, Helen Rosette, and Samantha E. Where, why aren't there more? Why is there a lack of purple? Asked Samantha E. In, in flags, well, remember, purple was the royal color. Mm -hmm. And so, how many monarchies do we have or running the country? Oh, so it still would be a symbol of royalty? Yes. You go to a red fair mm -hmm. and you're wearing purple, the queen might pick on you. Really? Yes. Because you should not be wearing like that purple. color. Oh, my God. Good to know. So purple's the royal color. I don't want to get hazed by a red fair queen. Yeah. That sounds like a nightmare. She might have your head on a stick or throw Pepsi on you. And not get your turkey leg. I know. <laughs> Quick aside, why was purple such a royal color? Well, because it was expensive as hell. It was gathered from mollusk shells. So Queen Elizabeth I wouldn't even allow non-royals to wear it. Now, one flag that's purple is the Native American and First Nation Iroquois Confederacy, and it features a string of four boxes with a tree in the middle, and it's flown to represent unity with other tribes. Now, why is it purple? Also mollusks. It's based off a wampum belt made from shell beads. Now, vexillology, malacology, all up in each other's history. Conchology is the study of shells. Should I do it? Shell, yeah. Also, side note, Iroquois is a name given to the tribe by colonists, but they call themselves the Haudenosaunee which is a way more beautiful word. Now, this next question is about a flag that looks like two triangle pennants on top of each other, just like gives no fucks about being a rectangle, and instead represented mountains and later two prominent religions in the region. A bunch of people asked about it, including first-time question asker, Kelsey Slaney, Liv Schaefer, Todd Peterson, Sean McGregor, and Graham Tattersall. Zillard Glylai wants to know, why is Nepal's flag so cool? That is a cool flag. What's the deal? Flag. So basically, it looks like like uh, dagged triangles. It's very, very um, tall or long. Ooh. And so it's not square. Okay. And so, you know, that that is a country where you have prayer flags or pennants being flying. And mm -hmm. so it's very similar to something you may have had um, previously before what's known as modern flags. And so I, I opine that it could be an adaptation of that. Nathan Andrew Leaflight asked a question. I feel like a lot of people probably have this question. 
Aviva Elizabeth also asked it. Are there official guidelines for when to fly flags at half-mast, and who is empowered to make that decision? Yes. Mm-hmm. So there are guidelines. It's, it's, it's in the flag code, and there are specific days that you fly a flag at half-mast, like Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to fly a flag at half-mast, or half-staff, so masts are ships and oh. staffs are on ground, oh. have to come from uh, executive order of the president. And so okay. that would dictate all U.S. flags in the country. And subsequently, that would be state flags and municipality flags because the American flag is always the highest. How long are they supposed to stay down? Uh, That depends on the executive order. So the executive order that goes out would go for the time periods, like usually a day or or the weekend or a week. But for sitting politicians, I'd have to double check this, but I think if a president dies in office, um, flags are at half mast for 30 days. Wow. And then it goes down from there. Oh, that's if a president dies in office? Correct. What if the country's not sad about it? I'm just kidding. That's, it's a joke. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I could check the flag code. I did bring it with me. <laughs> oh, I kid. I kid. We all know that vice presidents are scarier anyway. Deli Dames wants to know, what's the oldest flag that you know of? The oldest flag I know of? Well, there are in existence. I don't know what in existence, but I, I do mm-hmm. know that, you know, um, in, Bab- in Babylonia, they would have um, standards, poles, mm-hmm. and they would have tablets on them. And then later on, the Roman legions would have a staff and it may have streamers, but it have devices. So like how we have the eagle on the top of the flagpole, they may have an eagle or uh, uh, another bird or some other symbol that denoted that unit or that leader. The oldest flag in existence, I don't know what the oldest flag in existence is right now, but flags do go back millennia. Dang. Hello, Scotland. Your flag was established in the literal Dark Ages, 1832 to be exact. It's just a blue field with a big white X representing the crucified St. Andrew. It's cheery. Pete Escudero wants to know who invented semaphore codes. How was that done? Do you know anything about semaphores? You know, I learned semaphore in Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did? <laughs> yes. So besides besides the heraldry shop that my mom worked at, I was mm-hmm. in the Boy Scouts and I was in the Civil Air Patrol and I did enjoy being on color guard detail. Ah! Um, so I don't know how far back semaphore goes. I, I'm going to. I know they were very popular in the early 20th century. A semaphore, side note, is when someone holds two flags, moves them around to different positions to make different letters to spell out words. So just think, you could destroy someone by signaling an F and a U. Or you could make their day by adding an N. Fun. Fun with flags. And it's almost like reading a clock. And so depending on where the hands are, uh, notate what the letter is. Is it like texting but with your arms? Yes. And do you use like short codes or do you spell out everything? You would spell out words or, or clipped words. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd clip out, you know, maybe a, a vowel or so. But so you'd cross the flags to start a sentence <gasps> or a word and then you'd spell out the word or the num- or use a number sign and then you'd wave the flags to end it. It's oh. kind, of, kind of like Morse code. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Was it hard to learn? How long did it take you? I don't remember. It's, it was a, that was a while ago. But I still have this, uh, some before set in my flag collection, though. Do you think if someone tried to semi for you a message, you would be able to decode it? I'd probably only get SOS. <laughs> well, that's the most important one. It doesn't look like an SOS. Do flag nerds know each other? Um, I know there's two others on the island. Um, we, mm-hmm. we do know each other. Um, one actually owns a flag shop and the other one is a professor mm-hmm. at uh, a local university. Did you ever think that you could do this for part of your job? No. No? Does no. It- <laughs> now, what is something about flags that's 
annoying? Or what is a part of your job dealing with flags that sucks? Um, I get a lot of the repetitive questions. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we have two or three flags. Where do they go? It's like, it's okay. The American flag is always on its right. Mm-hmm. You know, the viewer's left. Oh, I want to put it. It goes on its right. It's just some of these very, very basic things and mm-hmm. people ask me. And, and, I, and I do get upset when I do see flagpoles getting used for holding up banners or other signs. And I You're like, get that windsock out of here. What is this fish windsock on the flagpole? Well, I don't want to see the banner promoting the festival on the weekend. Take it, put it on the side or something. Don't put it on the flagpole. <laughs> now, what is the thing that you love the most about your job or your life as a vexillologist or about flags? It's just uh, a bit of history and to recognize what's what's been what's in the past and 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 use some kind of visible symbol to recognize those dates and and I, I have a good job. I think. Do you think you? have an old soul or were you born in the wrong era because you seem to have such a nod to and a flair for things vintage do you ever feel like maybe you're a ghost that was born into modern times that has been said of me i've been working in the museum field over 25 years now mm-hmm. so i did work at um one site where we did living history mm-hmm. and um so yes i i am i'm not a stranger to living history or period clothing uh, particularly the 19th century, and I do enjoy a good um, period history event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is a more gentler time with etiquette and protocol. Mm-hmm. Do you think in the future we're just going to use space holograms for flags? I don't know about holograms, but, you know, <laughs> how, how retro is becoming more popular. Maybe we're going to go, maybe we'll, we'll regress a little bit. And- I love that you're keeping the past alive by continuing to make it cool because you're cool. Thank you so much for doing this. I loved this. So ask well-dressed and informed people stupid questions because there's weird trivia flying right over our heads all the time. You might as well ask about it. We're all going to die. Go for it. Ask questions. Now, for more info on flags nava.org nava.org is a great resource uh you can find a local vexillological club let your nerd flag fly uh we are at ologies on twitter and instagram i'm ali ward with one l on both links to all of that plus the cause of the week and sponsors are always in the show notes ologies merch is available at ologiesmerch.com including some new stickers hot damn Yes, we have stickers. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis for managing that. Thanks to Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo for adminning the wonderful Ologies Facebook group. Uh, hello to the Ologies podcast subredditors out there, too. Thank you, assistant editor Jarrett Sleeper of the mental health podcast, My Good Bad Brain. And of course, the jolliest of the Rogers, Stephen Ray Morris, for Betsy Rossing all the pieces together each week. Stephen also hosts the Purrcast about kitties and see Jurassic Right about dinos both wonderful podcasts. Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. He's in the band Islands, which is a very good band. Now, if you stick around to the end of the episode, you know, I tell you secrets. And this week's secret is that this episode was so hard to make. There's so much political history and colonist bullshit and painful stuff when it comes to something that seems just as simple as flags. And so Thanks for waiting an extra week for this. I'm recording this actually on the morning of my parents' 50th anniversary. We're going to go celebrate it. And I'm down in their downstairs recording it really quick to send to Stephen. And then I'm taking the rest of the weekend off to celebrate with them. And the other secret I will tell you is that I moved into a new house about four months ago. And I have not yet bought a garbage can 
I've just been hanging a garbage bag from a cabinet knob for four months. I keep meaning to go to Bed Bath & Beyond and just blow through the stack of coupons I've been hoarding. So I swear I will do that this week, probably. Also, y'all, I feel like I've told you this, but those Bed Bath & Beyond coupons, they, they don't really expire. So just take yours out of your neighbor's trash. Put them in your glump compartment. That way you're like, oh, I gotta stop there. Use them whenever you want. 20% off, you guys. I'm here to help. Okay, next week, a chemistry episode that draws on the spells of Harry Potter. Potterology is up next week. Are you ready for it? Probably not. It's gonna rule. Okay, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, litology, nanotechnology, meteorology, Today, we are going to review and show you how to play Flags of the World. Hey, look at you! Florist by day, student by night, student by day, nurse by night. Since 1998, Penn State World Campus has led the charge in online education, offering access to more than 175 in-demand programs taught by our expert faculty. We offer flexible schedules, scholarships, and tuition plans to help you reach your educational goals online. Penn State World Campus delivers on your time. Click the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. That's worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC.